It's been 20 years, babe. One day we're talking about a graduation party and the next day we're here. And in between, I'm at a world of hurt. Welcome to Twin Peaks Rewatch from the Idle Thumbs Network. I am Chris Remo. I'm Jake Rodkin. And this week we're discussing the 23rd episode of Twin Peaks, Slaves and Masters. I feel like I do this every week, but I'm going to go all in on recapping what number of episode this is because we're deep enough in that it is actually completely impossible to figure it out. If, I still have not, to figure it out every single week because I have the Blu-ray. Yeah, this is the 23rd episode of Twin Peaks, which on the Blu-ray and DVDs is listed as episode 22. That's also its internal production number. If you're watching on Netflix, this is season two, episode 15. So it's 23, 22, and S2E15, depending on <laughs> what... Um, yep mode you're going yeah it's uh, slaves and masters it was directed by diane keaton of acting fame and it was written by harley payton and robert engels of of this weird version of twin Peaks fame. <laughs> this, yes and it first aired february 9th of 1991 and what happens this week chris i really want to know because i watched the episode <laughs> and it so, felt like nothing happened this week james and donna turned the tables wyndham earl pranks leo and Ben Horn had the craziest dream. <laughs> that is accurate. That is too accurate. Um, by which I mean, uh, also, I thought that I thought that there was a bunch of stuff with like a guy in underwear playing the flute and electrocuting Leo and stuff. Maybe that maybe that was also a dream. <laughs> Thomas Eckert was there. Unclear what role he uh, his, has in anything ever. Thomas Eckert makes a dramatic turn. <laughs> Thomas Eckert's story d- goes nowhere. Yes. Thomas Eckert turns towards the camera yes. dramatically is what yeah. we mean. Mm-hmm. Uh so this this uh well, I want to point out that this is at least the second week in a row that after the sort of fixed introduction ends, you know, the sort of normal just Twin Peaks introduction with the, all the establishing shots. For the second week running, the first name that we get is starring Eric DeRay, who plays uh, who plays Leo. He gets the starring, like the first one now, which is crazy to me because Maybe his be- role is basically to look like a like a fucking garden gnome who occasionally mutters things. That's got to be because in the in the earlier episodes he was in the opening credits, right? Was he not? I think he was. So I'm sure he's now just been sort of demoted to that, but he's like right. the highest. One in there, it just cracks me up because it's Congrats, starring Leo. Eric Deray. Leo's the best of the second tier characters. That makes you wonder who's in the front. I, I haven't looked at who's in the opening in a long time, but I bet there are some. Yeah, I can't remember some undeserving names in there at this point. Also, that starring credit this episode came on top of like ominously shot chess pieces, which I think in, in some kind of metaphor for the the sort of. Uh, era of twin peaks that we're now in includes at least one there's ominous an intro chess shot piece of another <laughs> superimposed onto another bigger ominous chess piece yeah this episode is the king of superimposed king? stuff oh checkmate jake <laughs> yeah I, that's i would say that this episode checkmated my interest in continuing to watch twin peaks <laughs> but we have to watch the rest of them so from 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 what i have been told by some listeners recently, uh, this is the inflection point at which the pendulum starts swinging back in the other direction. Yeah, we've bottomed out. This episode is the sound of the muffler just like scraping on the dirt as we're about <laughs> to just finally climb back out yeah. of this. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> um, apparently, apparently so. Um, this episode's directed by Diane Keaton. Do we want to talk about I know. that? Well, I don't know. I, mean, I, I feel like either we talk about it now a lot or we save it till the end, but... I thought that it seemed so. I don't really, I don't know very much about Diane Keaton as a director. She did not direct much. I looked it up. She directed a few TV episodes and she directed some documentaries in the eighties and had some uncredited directing work on like charitable organization films and stuff. But by and large, it's like she has five directing credits and like fifty acting credits. You know, right, like, right, 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 right. I don't think that it's a thing that she usually does. So I don't know the story of how she ended up behind the camera here. Right. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Who knows. Um, but okay. Well that, okay. So I guess that said, um, I, it felt to me like she was 
maybe over aggressive about trying to capture certain Lynchian or sort of Twin Peaksy kind of directing techniques because there there were, seemed like a lot of those tropes. Yeah, it, it, it's that, but even more so than in a lot of recent episodes, I feel like this episode through its direction, tried to create a bunch of high concept moments and sort of tried to conceive of these, like, like the scene with Pete and the swinging door or like all of yes, the, all of yes. the police officers. That was a that visual are- gag that went on way too long. It was a clever bit of staging for sure, but it should have been like 20% the length. Yeah. I mean, was. I guess my feeling like there are a lot of people who in, in the forums and just, I, I did a little bit of reading about this episode just because I was so curious. Cause Diane yeah. Keaton is such a name from not in the world of, of twin peaks or even television really right. showing up on this. And just like, what do people say about this episode? Yeah. And she gets a lot of flack for being a terrible director. And yeah, I, I don't know if she's like a worse, if this comes off as worse than the, yeah, the, the, the surrounding material. I think that, I think that her mistake, which feels like an amateur mistake is trying to make, a lot out of nothing, like trying to build mm-hmm. these high concept moments and hope that they'll work yes. on their own. When what her actual problem is, is she's given a boring yes. piece of shit script. And I totally agree. And should have just backed away, but instead was right. like, I'll make something out of this turd. Like, right. no, you, you yeah. should not. And she went all in. Yeah. It's yes. I totally agree. It seems like someone who probably, I'm sure that she was, you know, someone who really enjoyed twin peaks and probably enjoyed like, David Lynch's work generally and was really excited to get to come direct an episode of this, but she was like 10 episodes too late to get to direct the show. She actually wanted to direct. Right. Yeah. So it's, she it's, kind of, you know, it's an, which attempt, is just it, it's, an, it's an attempt to make lemonade, not out of lemons, but out of nothing. It right. feels like, yeah, and like, yeah, yeah. like it sucks in a way out of the amount of lemon that you would squeeze into one cocktail. Right. Yeah. Now make it's, it's going to be a great lemonade. Guys. Also, the cocktail is really gross. It's like yeah. a shitty <laughs> cocktail that you should not have even put lemon into if you read the instructions. Right. But, um, cause it like, if you watched this episode of twin peaks as a silent movie, you might think that it's one of the most brilliant episodes of twin peaks ever because like the actual level of visual style and the quality of the actual cinematography and stuff is really nice. Like there are some of the most beautiful shots of season two in this yeah, episode, there are, there are some but they things. actually just taste horrible. Basically. There's also some, uh, there are also some, I thought this was this episode for whatever reason had, and I don't know if this was Keaton or some who, someone else who does this. I imagine it was her as the director, um, had a really interesting usage of music. Sometimes it worked for me and sometimes it didn't, but it was different and interesting. There were a number of scenes that had music that was much more straightforwardly dramatic than a lot of Twin Peaks has. Yep. Which I have to say, I don't really mind. If the show is going in the direction it's going, I I think I would be more distracted by the kind of uh, contrast of the goofy battlementi wackiness yep. against scenes. Or the weird, it, like the dissonant Lynch stuff. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, this had a lot of sort of straightforward dramatic score, and I thought that it worked fine and there were also interesting choices she made of like just cutting music the like cutting music out entirely and then coming back with it in the same scene sometimes multiple times it was really weird like in the scene where albert lays out the windham earl situation mm-hmm. the music is really dramatic for a while then it sort of abruptly starts then it's dramatic again as cooper is like looking out a slatted window with yep. shadows on his face it's it's really it's odd. i don't know what to think of it but it's interesting at least like when i was watching the episode it it broke the yeah sort of I think uh, the, the problem with all of it like the rest of the episode is that it's really in service of nothing so even though it is sort of a more traditional filmic yeah. choice it feels like it's like oh this scene should be dramatic I want it to be dramatic <laughs> so I'm going to shoot it the way that one shoots a really like high concept dramatic scene and we're going to score it nicely oh no one's saying anything interesting and the pacing right. is bad and it's a story no one cares about and the actors yeah. don't give a fuck yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. just like oh my god. The other on the total opposite end of that, I just want to. I, I guess I could mention these in their own scenes, but um, since we're talking about the direction of this episode broadly, and I, I want to set up a contrast to what I just said, which is that in the scene where Norma and Ed are in bed together, there's no music, as far as I recall, for the entire scene, and um, and Nadine gets home, and it's uh, I think until Nadine. So Nadine, when Nadine walks in and like just gets in bed with them then music starts. But until then it's a really long scene of absolutely no soundtrack other than was what the characters are saying. Yep. And it was really interesting and really kind of nice. Like it was, 
it's weird how infrequently, especially now, um, this show just lets two characters talking breathe. And even in the early parts of the show, usually that would have some goofy music on top of it. Like it's really rare to just have in this show to have the two pilot characters. was way more about that than yeah, any of the yeah, other yeah. episodes. It's true. I will say that even though that was refreshing, I thought that scene went on too long. I think oh, the yeah. decision to make it one yes. take was a disaster. Like yeah. I think there's just a ton of horrible. A things A lot of about scenes it. went on too long. Yeah, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Oh, all right. You want to get into it? I guess. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I just. No, no, no. That's okay. I'm sorry, Chris. That we have to discuss uh, James. Slaves and Masters. Oh, we start with James? Uh, he was the first scene, right? So <laughs> Was he? After the after the Oh, that's right, because <laughs> chess pieces. It goes from the chess pieces to that sort of like weird abstract shot of Evelyn's body. Yeah. Uh and then Yeah, I guess I really thought that the James storyline was put or to bed it's... last episode. No, it starts with Evelyn. It's it starts with it starts with And the then James it cuts storyline. to the bar or whatever. It starts with her um, talking to the cops, and there's that like, like, random green outfitted police officer who's being a goober and not understanding him correctly. And then, like, when the when that police officer walks away, there were two other police officers hidden behind him in the entire shot. I it's, remember this shot. Oh, it's the opening. It's just the whole opening. It's like it starts with the shot of Evelyn talking to the police officer, and she's got her like a uh, morning veil on, which it then keeps cross dissolving to over the episode. Huh. Um. And then she walks up the stairs at the end of the shot and fades to her face again for like the one of like 16 times that it cross fades to Evelyn's <laughs> right. face. Yeah. Um, and then it cuts to hideout Wally's, right, which, okay. which is called Wally's hideout. I think technically with the sign yeah. says hideout yeah, Wally's. Wally's yeah. yep. um, and then that's what, yeah. So like this, this episode just opens with nothing but weird tone deaf, high concept choices. Yes. All involving huge amounts of police officers. Cause there is that one really stocky, like big, just like not fat, but just like large, like built big police officer interviewing Evelyn about James. Then when he walks away, there are just two other guys behind him that had been there the entire time. And they turn into a little trail of police officers that walk out the door. It, right. And then it cuts to the five guys all smoking in a line at the bar at the bar. Yeah. Those, I assume it's like a biker gang or something. I guess the way they all turn their head at the same, like there's, the cop goes like, "Excuse me," and then every single then guy turns turn. around and goes, "Hi, Frank." That was a that was like more abstract and high concept than almost anything I think I can remember in this the entire run of this show. Twin Peaks has never had stuff like the stuff yeah. that's in this episode, yeah. but like, yeah. it sh- and then and then have. later on, it doesn't it come back to that to this scene, and there's even more of those guys. I don't know if there's more. I th- okay. Maybe there maybe are. Not. But I was making that up. Um. Oh, no, no. I guess it's in the same scene. It's just that you get a wider shot and there yeah. are more of them, but they're still the exact same guy. It's really weird. And there's opera music in the background. Like, it's just the whole thing is stagey in a really extreme way. Yeah. That is not good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the scene is, it's James and, and Also, Donna. James is just playing around with the cocktail umbrella. Of course, he's just it felt like he, doing it the f- goofiest thing imaginable. I felt like his direction there was to like absentmindedly open and close the umbrella, but he didn't know how, so he just kind of like strokes it. <laughs> I like that our explanation for everything James does is that the actor just doesn't know how. That's what it looks like to me. It looks like he was supposed to like sort of go boop, 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 like open and close it, but instead yeah. he just sort of like touches the outside of it yeah. over and over again. It's really awkward. <laughs> um, I was sad that James was in this episode. I was sad that his arc got even more stupid. Yeah. And the stupidity of it starts with James and Donna are in hideout Wally's, presumably hiding out from the police. Yeah. But every other person in the bar is dressed identically. Mm-hmm. And then James has his jacket on and he just turns his head away from the police and Donna yep. just goes and uses the phone and yep. starts lying about how she's talking to a relative. Mm-hmm. And then the police officer just walks away from both of them. The only two people in the bar who are not dressed not, in an identical costume. Identical. Yeah, I know. It's yeah, it's 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 this season I, three of Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks twenty sixteen is going to get into the mystical powers of hideout Wallies <laughs> and how it actually like lets you disguise yourself. Right. Um, I uh, I was surprised that we spent this much time. I mean, this was probably other than the win than sort of all the combined Winnemurl Cooper stuff. I feel like this was maybe the single biggest chunk of like one continuous thread yeah, in this episode. This is like James's like hero me. episode. It's funny because I thought last episode I know it was seemed, them putting this to bed as yeah, much as they could. Like and they're they like, were just rushing. Like it seemed like the way it ended was just like, okay, wrap this up. Let's we fucking done with it now. But what if there was an entire episode yeah. dealing with the aftermath of that rushed garbage? Right. Oh, it will be drawn out garbage. <laughs> 
Um, so let's see here. I don't know. I don't know what else to say about this. I mean, we get more classic James when James just barges in on on our houses. Why'd you do it? And it's just the most like oafish yeah. performance, oh, as as is the case. Um, and then and then they just like somehow uh, slide back into this just terrible romance. Just, there are moments when I really wanted you, not for Malcolm, but for the good and honest way you taste. I like the way you taste too. What? Not the time, guys. Yep. Not the time for that. <laughs> Why? It was never the time, though. Let's be honest. It's really not the time now. It's way past when it could have ever been the time. Yeah, you know, Donna... James is a good person. Evelyn, he was good at two things. The car and me. Yep. <laughs> cool. Yeah, I, uh... Anyway, Evelyn, uh, shoots Malcolm, and then he dies. She lives in his arms as he dies, I guess. Mm-hmm. Good All story. Right. Well, that's that. I guess we can move on. Well, I, if, you, if you've got some more important uh, observations I d- I about don't. it. Malcolm kind of sounded like Bob to me when he got shot. Oh yeah, I thought that was just a completely terrible decision to make to mm-hmm. make to to like like it felt actually like disrespectful to me in the way that right. I've said that before I think sometimes in the show when people lift those like aesthetic moments from really big moments in Twin Peaks and just turn them into meaningless like style bible decisions. That's what happens in Twin Peaks when like a <clears throat> person at the head of a sinister thing finally dies. Just that's what happens. Yeah. No. No. Yeah. It just, oh, it was, yeah. <laughs> but it, right before that, there was like what looked like slow motion, but was just strobed real time dialogue when. Mm-hmm. It was a slow shutter. I mean, uh, tw- uh, David Lynch loves that. Yeah, but David Lynch usually actually slows it down, whereas in this case, yeah, it was yeah, yeah. just 80-yard like actors reading their lines in real time as we look at right. them like on g- 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 right. stuttering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just felt insane. Like it felt, ah, oh, it's really. And then I guess, like, I was confused for half a second and thought this was, a f- like, a frame story. Mm-hmm. Because we kept seeing those shots of Evelyn in her morning veil. But that's that was the outfit she was wearing when talking to the cops. Yeah. But then at the end, she's, like, justifying it to herself and telling herself the story of how Malcolm got shot. And I was like, wait, was that what we opened with? Oh, no, that was the other yeah, time she was justifying a murder of someone yeah. and, and relaying mm-hmm. it. And I guess that's supposed to just be, like, this is what her character is. But I don't think anyone's character... Is someone who com- repeatedly rationalizes murders. <laughs> True, that's not a, that's, that's not, not a, a thing. Trait. Yeah, that's yeah. not that's not a yeah. thing. You can't have like a thematic bookend with right. that. It, that's just not how it works. Yeah. But whatever. Um, <laughs> remember when one murder was the focal point of a season and a half of this show? Anyway, we're just dropping a million anyway, murders. Murder show. <laughs> yeah. It's- it is a murder show. I know. It's a show about murders and murderers. This episode- it's about accidental and intentional murderers all the time. Yeah, I guess Wyndham Earl doesn't kill anyone in this episode, but we're shown photos of like a million crimes is committed and like other bodies, and he has a sheet of three potential other victims, and we open with the aftermath of last week's murder, and then another murder happens at the end of this. So this is just a murder show now. Yep, it's, it's just a show about murderers murder murdering. <laughs> The evil that men do. <laughs> and a lady. And one lady. <laughs> okay. So sorry. That's fine. You want to um so Shelly doesn't have a lot in this episode. You wanna you wanna talk about that? Yeah. Um there's a uh there's I, I like both of Shelly's scenes in this episode. She's like the one maybe not the one, but she's really the the example that stands out to me in this episode as being sort of a normal human being who reacts to things in a normal way. Um, she gets, as I recall, she basically gets two scenes. She gets, uh, she's with Bobby in the police station as reporting Leo, reporting Leo as Truman says, like, we'll put some deputies on you. And Bobby's like, don't lose the deputies, sheriff. I'll, I can take care of this pretty lady or whatever. Okay. And Shelly just gives him the most amazing eye roll. <laughs> this like, episode has, okay, we have to, we have to divert onto the Bobby Briggs off ramp for half a second <laughs> because Bobby has two moments in this show, in this episode. And, uh, they. The bat and the, the end of the Civil War. Yeah, God, when he shows up, he's like, sorry, I'm late. I know. Some biker even- trying to steal this jacket. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. Like yeah. that. 
that and his stupid is like, what do you t- call off the deputies? I don't yeah. need it. Like, oh man, that 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 like braggadocious bullshit. That then is followed up with, sorry, I'm late. Some bikers tried to steal this jacket. <laughs> it's like, oh man, <laughs> yeah. Also, the way he looks in that goofy like little cap is amazing. He looks like more of a goober than he ever has. His head before. just looks so tiny it without his so Bobby tiny. Briggs I know. hair. When he when he's not when he's wearing neither a kind of sleazy suit nor a, a or his, a jacket, his varsity jacket. Yeah, or, he, yeah. He just looks like a weedy. He looks like what he is. But in a way that he never fully physically inhabits until this moment. It's amazing. Yep. I guess actually he he often just wears a leather jacket. But in the scene with Shelley when he's like, call if you goons. Yeah. Then he gets up and walks away. He's wearing his high school varsity jacket, right. which I did actually also like. Just, yeah, 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 yeah. Man, yeah. this is a dumb – a diversion of a diversion. I actually thought the costuming in this episode was really, really, really good. Can you give me some examples? Dr. Jacoby's outfit was Oh, that's true. That On was point. Yeah, that, that was, was like, amazing. Yeah. Pri- like Dr. Jacoby has never looked as good as far as character design as he does in this episode. No, with that amazing. suit yeah. and that fish tie. Mm-hmm. Um, Josie Pack, not Josie Packard. Jeez, uh, definitely not. C- Catherine, Catherine's like dress mm, when she's had yeah, like yeah. it's really good. Yeah. And like Bobby Briggs's uh, mm-hmm. stupid high school outfit's yep. really good. I um, no, you're right. Even like Cooper looks really crisp and gets called on it. Called it gets called out by Albert. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I I like. I think that like the actual just production design of this episode is just really strong, and it Mm -hmm. feels like. Oh, I buy that. Either Diane Keaton made a bunch of really good choices, or they like packed the house because they had a celebrity director. Sure. But like, there's just some really nice. Like, no, I don't know, man. No, you're totally right. If you're ever gonna like cosplay as Doctor Jacoby, anyone in the world, <laughs> this episode is the, the costume. Moment, like, yeah. this episode is like the most impossible one because it's that like really crisp but plaid suit with that fish tie, where the tail is the like knot of the tie. Mm-hmm. Man, Jacoby, that's the <laughs> and then Jacoby comes out in. Then he's also he's got a couple. Yeah, because his clothed situation, his Civil War costume is also just like. Oh, really yeah. strong it's with the pretty, with the tiny with oh, the yeah, tiny the little sunglasses round, little, like oh, scientist man. glasses yeah no, anyway, it's, it's quality whatever let's let's back it up two steps to Shelley Johnson yeah I didn't mean to go no, crazy no, no, with that's that that's okay so then uh, her next scene is uh, with Norma <laughs> which was a weird scene because ninety nine percent of that scene was that it was just a like. Really nice scene between Shelly and Norma, which I like at this point, the scenes like this are the thing that these are like my lifeblood at this point. These are like the brief moments of gasping for air underneath the, in the sort of just churning ocean of just melodramatic bullshit is when two characters interact with each other in a genuine and heartfelt way. I'm just, <gasps> and then I get enough air to breathe for like several <laughs> more scenes. Uh, that's funny. That's like that's the stuff that you like. Whereas the stuff that I like, apparently, as as evidenced by this episode, which has nothing in it, is just when someone still manages to achieve like a visual or stylistic moment that is completely unique from anything else that ever exists. And Twin Peaks gives them a reason to, but it's just in service of nothing at this point. So it just it, it's oh, yeah. always depressing. The same way as I these like moments that, of just I like that stuff too. And it's not so much that these are the moments that are like defining of Twin Peaks for me. It's just no, that, that at this point the show has gone so far outside of how human beings operate. Right, so even like if it's in any, service of nothing, just getting yeah, a moment of actual yeah, acting and characters right, being people is right. just a relief. Yep. I also, know. though, this was the this was so so odd in that they're having this moment and there's this just enormous ice cream toy like they're model like polishing ice cream, an ice cream cone. cone. <laughs> yeah, that Norma is weirdly just like. Polishing with one hand as they're having this discussion. It was really strange. Yeah. It, really weird. <laughs> weird choice. Yeah. <laughs> but it's nice to see those two back together. Yep. Um, you want to talk about Wyndham Earl? Yeah. Let's see. Um, Albert's back. Huh? What do you think was going on with Albert this time? Do you think that they were just like, let's... This character that everyone remembers, he's back. Let's really put a twist on him now. Or he and he and, and Truman like embrace instantly well, I without feel like, any. I feel like yeah, Albert's last time on screen, I think, was his lecture about everything Peace and him and saying, "I love you, yeah. Sheriff Truman," right. and then he leaves. I don't really know. Like, I feel like I don't know. I mean, I know that the gag was that they just instantly embrace without any hesitation. But I feel like it would have made slightly more sense if they at least kind of glanced at each other for like sides each other up for a I know. second had or there something. Been, had there been then, that tiny look first of like, 
Are we still? Is he shitting me? Like, oh no, we're not. Okay, good. Yeah, great, yeah, yeah. great. Like, like, how is Truman ever not going to be slightly wary? I mean, maybe once they establish the thing, but like, I don't know. I feel like I, it was hard for me to buy this just instant like best buds. It felt like it was just, there was unspoken stuff in between then and now, but I don't think there. It was. It seems like it was a choice made purely for style, like yeah, stylistic reasons, I, and not yeah. for what a, a, a human character would do. It, yeah. like I was like. I was happy to see those two actors do that. And like Truman, I mean, not Truman. Whereas I totally buy Albert doing a Gordon Cole impression. Yes. That I totally buy. And I even buy him complimenting Cooper's flannel. Yeah, I thought that was good. And like he even tells Cooper, like he he pays lip service to the fact that he and Truman had problems and stuff. But like it just, it didn't, it didn't justify it. It's just a little much. Yeah. They could, you could have, I think, done the same thing with just a bit more nuance in their like approach. Anyway, uh, the I, we're I, focusing on that as a moment of indulgence, but then the next thing that happens uh, makes that discussion seem ridiculous. Well, when Albert puts the map down with the sea, the map and all the down with the sea, and he's just like, "Oh man!" Out all the fucking evidence, like, oof. It was really bad. And okay, here is my confession to this. Yeah, for like the first like quarter to third of albert starting to do this stuff just because that actor who plays albert always is the info dump guy and because it was like Mm -hmm. stylish and it actually had pace to it i was like okay this is kind of interesting wait a minute no (laughs) nope this is actually nothing this is insane like here i will present pieces of my wife's wedding attire my wife who has nothing to do with you other than you had an affair with her also that's in the shape of a c also everything is terrible yeah, like it's, it's just terrible yeah we, th- we get it windamerl like we we get the thing he's an like, elaborate mastermind yeah. <laughs> who's creating a letter c across america yeah, yeah. like what is going through his brit Fuck, I really hope Cooper gets what I'm doing. I really hope he gets it. I better I better plant a few more seeds. Man, if he misses like two of these, it's going to spoil the whole thing. I know. It's really going to just but not. Wyndham Earl has never made a creative work that had to be play or focus tested. <laughs> <laughs> People don't pick up on this shit. I guess they do when you have – he's like, Albert will figure it out if Cooper doesn't. Yeah. Because Cooper has not – Cooper has not noticed any of this shit. Yeah. But Albert's like – Look, a C is drawn. <laughs> Wintermorrow could have just mailed the letter C to Albert. Yeah, I know. It would have been fine. Yep, the whole thing. Also, none of it is relevant at all because at the end of it, Wintermorrow leaves a mask of the woman's face on Cooper's bed that when he picks up, a tape recorder plays and it's Wintermorrow telling him everything that had need- that was like... God, okay, The episode so- ends with him saying, Cooper, I am back, and we're playing a game of chess, and I am murdering people. Like, yeah. why were there four other episodes before this, if anything? Also, he, the way he, that he plants that mask is by putting on just, like, basically a cartoon disguise. I know! And then sneaking into the hotel. He could have just walked into he the hotel. Know what it looks like. No one, yeah, no one. They're like, oh, a random-looking guy fact, was here. In fact, given his character, it would have probably been more chilling if he just went in with, with as how he looks, which nobody identifies, and then at some point later, they're like, we're looking for this man, and they show a sketch like, or something. he was in your room. Oh, my God. And then, right, like, the person at the front desk is like, oh, shit. I mean, that would... Right. Like, He's instead, the most... Instead, how about this ostentatious mustache? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Oh, oh Magnum PI extra was <laughs> was in your room. He was he really stood out because he had a wig and a mustache and like a seventies clothes or something. Yeah. Oh, a guy was playing pan flute in his underpants in your room earlier. Like if it's, a man was prancing around. And, uh, so if you if if we need Wyndham Earl, we need Wyndham Earl to be a, a creepy force, and we need him to be like to put a power of unease over Cooper. I feel like you drop every single thing that he does in this entire episode except for just the mask and don't put a tape recorder under it. Just have the creepy mask. Like, I thought that was creepy. Yeah. Like, when Cooper gets back and sees that on his bed, like, it works well as a shot. Like, it's weird. Yep. It looks, like, ambiguous. Like, is there something else under there also? Like, there might be sort of, like, a bump in the bed that is, like, a corpse or something. Who the fuck knows? This guy, right? Right. Nope. It's just that one thing. Really creepy looking. You don't need the, like... 12 other surrounding pieces of like don't forget guys i'm evil I know. and i can murder people if i want cooper like, it's already <laughs> creepy enough that he can get into your hotel room and put a thing down a man with a fake mustache and a wig and what looked like the remote control for a shot collar on his wrist came into your house or in your hotel room with a tape recorder 
<laughs> I don't think that that doesn't sound like Wendell Merle. That sounds like some complete insane yeah. person. I mean, he's, de- he's just totally demystified for a character who's supposed to be to like live in a different mental plane. Every single we have complete perfect information into everything he does. Like not only do not only does he explain it all to us, we are shown what he's up to in his cabin. We're shown the lead up to his his like sneaking in. We're sh- we show we get the result of it, and then not only that, part of what he's doing includes additional explanation. Yeah. Like wh- why if if this character is supposed to be mysterious, and if we're supposed to be conveyed like the just can never pin him down. He's like operating on a different plane. Then why are we given five times as much information about every single movie makes all the time? It's ridiculous. Like it, it's it he's like the dark mirror of Cooper, Chris. Where Cooper is interesting, Wyndham Earl is not. <laughs> Imagine if he had a white tape recorder. Imagine how terrible that would have been. Because that's about on the level I know, that we're that's operating. About what, what's going on? Yeah, it's like the it's because it's they should have. It would have driven home the like chessboard thing. Oh God, you want to know? Okay, so here, so the most recent victim has the same. Last name as Carolyn, his dead wife. And then Cooper, like, just, to, okay, so there's something about Wyndham Earl that puts the entire show in, like, a reality distortion field that makes everyone dumb. Because when when we learn that his, his most recent victim has the name Powell, which was his wife's maiden name, Cooper goes, the fact that he's chosen the name Powell tells me that he hasn't forgotten a thing between us. No shit, idiot. Why would he have forgotten and he's been murdering That's people like, and spelling the name on the country. He's been he sending, he's been sending pieces of her wedding dress yeah. to you. He That's obviously like, also, by the way, even if he hadn't been doing any of this stuff, no human on the planet would forget that. Imagine if someone named like Edward Palmer had died halfway through season one. Mm-hmm. The killer is doing this because there's a connection to Laura Palmer. Right. <laughs> Imagine if that line of dialogue yeah, had come out of Cooper's mouth. Yep. Like <laughs> he hates the everyone named Palmer. That's, <laughs> obviously by killing Madeline Ferguson, the killer is repeating the murder of Laura Palmer. <laughs> Executive producer Mark Frost. <laughs> David Lynch. Oh, well, actually, on that note, by the way, this episode so the okay, so he picks up the mask on his bed yes. and play goes. Now, Dale, listen carefully. It's your move. Freeze frame picture of Laura Palmer. I, know. I mean, it's just, it's like the, ne- I only notice this sometimes, even though it happens pretty much every week. But the times I notice it are when it is, it is just the ultimate fuck you to the, to the audience. Remember what this, remember how this show used to be? We're still, we're still ending it the same way just to remind you of what this show used to be. Anyway, now, Dale, it's your move. Yeah. Uh, Oh, okay. There's a couple other things I want to ask you about. Okay. How do you feel about Pete being a chess master? It does not bother me at all. Okay. Does it bother you? No, I'm neutral on it. I'm totally neutral on it. I'm not like, it's it, a thing- it didn't make me like stand up and cheer, but I'm also, it's compared to all the other shit, like it's fine. We're so mired in crappy chess stuff that it makes me like, like just weary. But I think about, had that scene of Pete just taking on three random Twin Peaks people in chess been like... 12 episodes ago i would have been probably super into it had like just a thing right. in the double r diner been pete being like because it it doesn't yeah it, it i don't i don't care about it one way or the other the idea of pete being this totally blue collar guy who just on his off time is awesome at chess yeah doesn't bother me at all sure um yeah i'm i'm, I'm fine with it I'm but totally fine with it if i'm if i'm fine with it did you say you're? Did you say you're fine with it? If I'm fine with it? No, no, no. no. Oh, said, I, no, no. <laughs> whereas if I had not liked no, it, no, 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 no. I'm I just, I just mean I'm. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. It's. Yeah. I guess Pete's gonna help solve the crack the case. Oh man, I didn't even think about that. Oh yeah. no, of course, obviously, Pete being good at chess means that Pete has a use in the plot. Yeah, of which, course. Oh, now I hate it. <laughs> oh, now I yeah. Opinion changed. Um, the other thing that happens in this whole thread this episode, oh, sorry, what? It would have been actually really good had Pete been shown as just, like, the goofy guy everyone makes fun of but is great at chess 12 episodes ago. Then I would have actually And if been it had come back? Yeah. yeah. No, that would but have been totally fine. But now they yeah. invented it to make... Mm. So now that we're in, like, the Chekhov's gun... How did you not gun, realize that was the point of this? Because there's so much other just lily gilding as yeah, far as no, chess goes true, that yeah. it's like, you know, whatever. Um... How about that whole scene with uh, Wyndham Earl 
doing electroshock stuff on Leo and capering around his weird cabin. The only thing that I liked, <laughs> I didn't like any of anything in that, but I, I liked that when he, he said, oh, all the weapons were taken away, so they realized that their flutes could be used to, <laughs> as weapons, that he just smacks the shit out of Leo. I really liked that. Yeah. Because I, it was the only time that there was, that it felt like there was any real threat and this guy was dangerous when he, like, right, right, right. that actually was a classic <laughs> Twin Peaksy thing to me. It's just sort of an innocuous bullshit thing. And then someone just goes, bam, and Tom hits Bombadil, someone really yeah. hard in the head. Like, the fact that he just beat the shit out of Leo with his flute for a second was so mm-hmm. much more impactful to me than the stupid shock collar. No, I agree. And, like, I totally the menacing, ugh. Yep. Also, the way he was introduced with that flute was a t- we- classically weird Twin Peaks thing where it was totally unclear to me if the music that was playing on the soundtrack was supposed to be the flute music that he was playing. It didn't think- quite match up. If you watch it carefully, it's not oh, yeah, actually... He's not playing anything resembling <laughs> that song. He was probably going... Like, just nothing. Also... This scene would have been improved if he were playing what he should have been playing in that scene, which would be some kind of jaunty Irish jig or something. I know, man! Right? Had he actually been just not playing... like? It feels like the thing that it reminded me of, which I'm sure both of these things are a reference to all sorts of just cinema culture that I don't know, is the stuff in Kill Bill when David Carradine is playing the flute by the fire and giving Sage-like advice. Like he's, it's, mm. it's literally like it's shot the same. It's the right. type of music is the same. I'm sure there is just one or two really notable scenes in film that have that archetype. But it does not work in no. this at all. No, it doesn't. I mean, it barely works in Kill Bill. But it does not work in this in any possible ways. You're right. Had he just been playing an amazing manic jig mm-hmm. while like, playing that and beating the shit out of Leo with the flute, it would oh, have yeah. been great. It would have been some sort of like weird Kubrick or even Lynch style yeah, thing. But yeah. when it's this like sage-like kind of vaguely like it was very eastern. Mo- it was just like morose Twin Peaks music where it's like, yeah, vaguely ethnic, yeah. but it's basically just clearly a guy playing a synth keyboard. Yeah. You know, that's what, that's like what the sort of low points of Twin Peaks music <laughs> too bad are. He didn't have, too bad Wyndham Earl doesn't have a keytar instead of a flute. <laughs> oh man. Which he then beats Lee over the head with. <laughs> uh, also, I could not stop noticing in this episode that Cooper's black eye and Leo's black eye look like they're templated from the exact same makeup. <laughs> like they're identical. Right. Yeah. It didn't occur to me. I've, Take your word for it. Which is maybe like some sort of like Black Lodge, White Lodge, mirroring. Mm. They're like two sides of the same. Leo and Leo Cooper, and Cooper are mirrors. Are mirrors. <laughs> maybe it's because they're both under Wyndham Earl's thrall. So they both have that same mark of yeah. bad black eye makeup. Man, speaking of Leo, I looked up Eric DeRay, the actor who portrays him. And he has not really been in much since since Twin Peaks at all. And I wonder what kind of weird experience this was for him. We're for like... Essentially, half of a season, his role is to just be an idiot, not in a figurative way, but to actually be, like, incapable of any kind of sustained thought or speech. I know, man. He probably was psyched when he got out of the wheelchair, and we talked about that. But now it's like, now you have to have a shock collar put on, and you're going to get shocked for having bad handwriting. <laughs> and, I mean, he, yeah, it's, it's weird. What a weird job this man has. Um, you want to move on to Josie, the other marginalized agency distript character in this, yeah, in this section of the show. Um, oh, I'm gonna put on, um, I'm gonna put my sunglasses back on for this though to okay, up the yeah. drama because, as we know, if you wear sunglasses all the time and have nothing of import reflected in them or flames, true, you're really ominous. Yeah. Um, did she always have those big ostentatious? fingernails or is that new i don't i don't know that this episode really seemed to fixate on them and i don't i don't remember that being a thing it could have been another like costume plus up for this episode that josie now also has i feel like maybe she had red fingernails way earlier but was the intent of that the show like this is how she like because like red fingernails especially in that era seemed like it was like a little bit of a high class lady choice 80s like yeah i mean this show like i think that this show's sense of sort of um, fashion and wealth is still is, trailing is from the mega 80s. mega 80s, but, yeah. but then so like, was it supposed to be like that uh, crossed with the fact that she's now in the subservient role and wearing I guess, a maid I guess costume? it's like even my, even your maid is glamorous and therefore, I don't oh, know. Oh, or just like, that's like still Josie's affect from when she was glamorous or something. Oh yeah, it could be, it could be. <sighs> oh man. Sorry, this is introduced. It's it's got a cl- classic cut to Twin Peaks waving trees, and then it cuts to Josie's hand on the table. And because this episode cannot 
avoid crossfading to an insert shot, it actually cross dissolves to another insert shot of her hand on the table before it. <laughs> like, there's two. There's like a close up of Josie's red fingernails, and then literally dissolves to a different right. shot of her fingernails. It's really. Because that's what Twin Peaks does. Mm-hmm. And then we get a return of Asian man killed. I know. Not o- Okay. Not only is there is there Asian man killed in this, there's also uh, Albert saying they're looking for a, a beautiful, a quote, beautiful Asian woman. And then an artist likeness of this, this like terrible, yep. I guess, representation of what Josie's supposed to look like. Just oof. Yep. So this this plot was maybe some of the i thought just like there was some of the most tortured plotting yet in in this whole section of the thing um the moment when cooper comes back or like is there when pete comes back with all the laundry yeah and then cooper just arbitrarily takes a fiber sample is it cuz he heard that it was josie's laundry but why would he why is he suspecting josie of anything like he gives that to Wait, to, was this before or after the police sketch of Josie is introduced to him? I guess it was after. I guess that was why uh, no. No, it's not. He he picks the thing up way before that happens. He 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 picks the he takes the fiber sample like long before any of that. And so he he takes a fiber sample from one yeah. of her coats. Albert is like they're looking for a beautiful Asian woman. Her coat fibers then match those found at Cooper's shooting, which by the way is ridiculous. Like what are the chances that like the whole point of all that laundry is that there were like a million pieces of clothing. So right. what are the chances that the one exact one that happens to be on the top that Cooper takes a thing from also felt like was the coat she was wearing. And then also why was Cooper suspicious of her in the first place? And then like, it's just the whole thing. I feel like, I feel like there's been a little bit of talk about Josie's disappearance and strange people and stuff, but not enough to justify that. I know. But like, then like suddenly from the same day, like, True, like Albert already has matched. Like, why was Albert looking to match yeah. that sample to the thing on the floor? Like, the whole thing was just like, uh, we got to tie these together. If yeah, if they had like as Cooper, he takes a glove. Like, had the scene not been staged such that like, uh, there's ways that exactly what was on the page could have maybe worked. Like, had they not gone for the crazy high concept gag of that door flapping open and closed and stuff, and instead Pete had come in, been exasperated. Drop some of the dry cleaning, and then what by chance Cooper picks up is the coat and the gloves. And then, like, it actually then reminds him this is the only stuff that I saw when I was shot. Maybe it would hold up, right? Like, if, if, because Cooper doesn't get a view of the killer, all that he sees, all that our perspective from Cooper shows when he gets shot is the gloved hand with that jacket pointing a gun at him and shooting him. Right. And, like, maybe they could have had something. Where there's like a thing that actually triggers that memory, but instead nothing so, yeah, in the staging no, presents no that. He just, of that whatsoever. Right. I mean, all the pieces are there for that to make sense on the page, but it is not presented on screen right. in any way that justifies any of the things that happened at all. Right. Like because it's Pete drops the dry cleaning, Cooper picks it up, and then takes a fabric sample or a fiber sample and and gloves, and it just doesn't. Ugh, yep. Ugh. It's just the it's like the opposite of the like he must. His, using his wife's name, he must still remember these things. Where it's like, instead of being the most obvious, like unnecessarily obvious thing ever, this just seems like a weird reach. Yep. You know, yeah. I don't know. It's, um, yeah, I guess. Oh, there's also there's, okay. There's a moment where Joe, where like the end of this, I guess, is um, is Eckert arriving and he rings the doorbell and Josie opens the door. And he's facing away from the door and he still has to turn around to be revealed dramatically. Yeah. Like, even when – this is maybe the third episode running that he has done this in is yeah. like to be revealed dramatically, either by coming into focus from the camera or by himself physically right. turning, turning around. Turning around to reveal himself. Yeah. And then <laughs> – oh, okay. Actually, you know what I have to say about this – about the continuation of that scene is Catherine and Eckert talking at the table – while Josie's waiting on them, I get this. This is, I guess, related to your talk about costuming earlier. This is maybe the most '80s soap opera scene mm-hmm. that's shot. I'm sorry, '80s soap opera shot that this show has ever featured. It is intense. Like the clothes they're wearing, the situation of like the the maid who herself is like figured into the plot in a dramatic way. Right. Like every all like the, the the sort of the fact that that whole relationship is based on double crossing and scheming of all three of those characters. The like weirdly opulent 
spread with like the pig Where head. Josie ends up with that pig head. Yeah. yeah, everything about that was such a like high class kind of waspy American eighties soap opera. It was like in a way that completely to me eclipses anything that is yet. Oh yeah, been no, on this Twin like Peaks. the the higher plane of uh, that has been referred to repeatedly that uh, the characters may or may not exist on. It's actually this. This is it. Like it's forget your White Lodge, Black Lodge, Wyndham Earl existing somewhere else. The actual sort of like second echelon of Twin Peaks is this dinner between Catherine and Andrew. Apparently, mm-hmm. the only the only thing that does not belong is how much Josie hates opening that bottle of champagne. <laughs> I couldn't tell if that was the actress really having trouble with it, or if it was Josie being disgusted, or if right. it was like both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, if you're gonna make a gif out of one thing in this episode of Twin Peaks, it's probably <laughs> it's probably Catherine going sure. Oh! trying to open that wine in that scene <laughs> um do you want to talk about uh, the last thing i have is the ben horn i guess we save the best for last here i guess i guess i don't know we, <laughs> i think i uh, actually liked everything about all this stuff in this episode up until the total cheeseball way that he's like i had a beautiful dream oh, and he, i know wizard was, of oz is it yeah oh. i know that was really um, incredible how much they kept doubling down on that we'll get to it i guess but as this opened, did you think, okay, so I got the sense, not that this matters, it's just curious if you thought this is what was intentionally happening. Do you think that the sort of drum core at the beginning was a nod to the long gone great northern yeah. lobby gag? Yeah. It felt it felt like that to me. Yeah. It felt like, yeah. I mean, the same actually with the, the, the lined up guys in the bar. It felt like these I know, were like right. yes. allusions to the sort of That's wacky uniformed people inside of the Great Northern, but just stripped of. That kind of, of thing is what I meant when I like really early on said that it felt like Diane Keaton wanted to really like, because again, I, it felt like she'd been probably watching the show and really liking it and sort of internalizing these things. I mean, like, oh man, I get to direct this. Like I get to use some of these like yeah. classic things. And, yeah, now. It, it, it definitely feels like the mistake was thinking that you could turn scenes into Twin Peaks by putting those things on them when there's no scene that had the ability for that to be done to it in this episode. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. The I mean the 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 line of drummers felt more at home here just because it felt oh, like Oh yeah, yeah, no. I actually really liked that because it was it was a subtle nod to that gag. Yep. But it but it wasn't and, it wasn't um Superfluous, like it, it actually it felt was like related. This whole scene feels like it's Audrey sparing no expense to try and take Doctor Jacoby's advice and pull the trigger yes. on Operation Adam- right. Appomattox. So, yes, exactly. So while I f- I still find that conceptually to be completely preposterous and like not at all convincing, it it was already the seeds were already set for that in you know the last couple episodes. Yep. So whatever, it's how it is. And given that, you know, I liked how it was this, this- shot. All of all of the stuff in the Ben Horn stuff is actually aesthetically my favorite stuff in this episode. I think that it's like it looks. I agree. Um, just all of the weird, like the shots going through the hay, um, and also yeah, that was super blue the way, velvet. The way, yeah, and the and the, just the way that all this stuff was lit was actually like really it it was lit to look like a painting of the Civil War, and like the way that they had all the plywood up that had the sort of impressionistic murals of moody skies and like grassy fields that were like there were just wall murals in mm-hmm. ben horn's office mm-hmm. uh like it just it felt not like not like a choice that david lynch would have made but it feels like a weird impressionistic thing that has a lot of that same mood i don't yep. know like it just actually yeah, like it just looked and felt really cool plus jacoby existing inside of mm-hmm. in his crazy costumes and that like it was just like you could take blu-ray stills you can take film stills from this stuff that is probably yes. some of the nicest looking yes, stuff that you've I ever totally seen in twin agree. peaks the colors were great it was really classic twin peaks in that way um yeah just looked it was uh, staged it, really well and it, it's dumb i mean i know but <laughs> yeah uh there i really loved the the scene when ben and his son and bobby are all singing and the drum people are marching away and like they're just everyone is going for it, and then they're sort of just cut off like midline as the scene shot ends, yeah. like really abruptly. It was great, like it was really just this like weird yep. all service kind of commotion, and then the, like it cut at just at the perfect moment to just sort of 
jolt you out of it. I thought it was really, really well. Yep. Super well shot. Um, and then, uh, I mean, in terms of just sort of indulgent twin peaksiness, um, after the camera sort of plowing through the, the tall grass, when Audrey and Jerry and Jacoby are all dressed up to end the war and his, like Jacoby doesn't really know how to act in the moment. And like the flag unfurls and like covers up Jacoby and, and Ben gives this whole thing. Like that was all just kind of yep. like good, goofy twin sort of like the weird off kilter yep. twin peak and stuff. I, I like that, that Jacoby decided his, his way of mirroring Ben not only is to get the full costume, but Jacoby also pulls out a cigar. So Jacoby and, and Ben <laughs> yeah. both smoking fat cigars while dressed as Civil War generals. Yep. It was very, very good. Also, Audrey really creepily kept just having her arm around Jacoby in all these scenes in a way that I did not. Okay. It was weird to me. What was that? What was that about? So Do you have a few okay. thoughts on this? I thought it was the other way around. I thought, okay. Cause oh, you thought the, Jacoby was creeping on Audrey. He totally was at the beginning of the episode. I'm oh, not the, sorry. At the beginning of this whole like string of scenes, you know, this thread, Jacoby comes over to talk with Audrey and like, to me, it really he just, like, sidles up. He just like, yeah, like as <laughs> oh, if it's no. the most natural thing in the world, just like clutches her around the shoulder. And then the reason it was notable is because he then lets her go. And then Jerry comes by and does the exact same thing from the other side. So she's passed from these two guys, both of whom do the exact same thing of wrapping their arms around her shoulder. It was really weird and like very noticeable. To yeah. Me. The, the, the physical closeness everyone kept having with Audrey in yeah. that scene was really odd. Yeah. 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 Did you notice that when I'm sure you did, when Ben puts his hand on the fake horse at Nays, no, I didn't notice that. Oh, man, really? He's like, he gives us, like, after the flag unfurls it, he gives us all things, sort of rests his hand on the just, like, model horse, and it goes, no. And it was, it was like a horse. Well, like, it was an actual sound effect. Yeah, it was an actual, like, sound effect of a horse. It wasn't, like, a character in the scene doing it. Weird. Yeah, it was really strange. And I think that it was just a weird Twin Peaks surreal indulgence, I guess. Oh. Yeah, it was odd. It was really, I like laughed when it like actually laughed when it happened because it was so bonkers and out of nowhere. Well, your laugh justifies that choice to Peyton and Angles in a way that I know, few I'm things sure. ever like, sure. see, see. Yep. So the guy liked it. Uh, and then, and then Ben's back and had the strangest dream and everyone, he's like, I had the strangest dream. What? what are you all doing in these clothes? And then everyone laughs and it looked like it was just, you should have had a freeze frame and then like produced by Mark Frost, like boop, 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 like God, 80s maybe, sitcom theme. Yeah. Had it, it freeze frames, <laughs> it freeze frames and then inexplicably cross dissolves to Cooper's face looking through a mask. <laughs> and then cuts to Laura Palmer's face. Right. Yeah. That whole scene was that, that the way that that scene wrapped up made it seem like, it was the conclusion to a one episode arc in which Ben Horn imagines he's a Confederate general. And then the entire point of the sitcom episode is to get him, out, to of snap him yep. out of it. And then he does. And it's a laugh. Yep. That's how that felt to me. That was, a, it was a weird undercutting. Uh, I felt like of a lot of the, the more surreal humor that Man, had come before it. That is, we're now actually like, I, I don't know what other, I guess Ed and Norma exists, but I feel like, that since you talk about how that seems like the ending, it's worth talking about the fact that this episode has like a cavalcade of endings because that scene ends with I had the strangest dream and you were in it. Da, 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 let's laugh. <laughs> then it cuts to Wyndham Earl putting on a disguise and talking to Leo, and then he says pretty words for pretty girls. Which one should be my queen? And then the 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 flyer like blows in the wind and or not the flyer. His like right. photocopied three photos falls and lands like in ominous lighting. Mm-hmm. That's also the ending, but then right. it cuts to them to uh, Evelyn and Malcolm about to kill James, and Donna comes in, and then Evelyn kills Malcolm and dies, or she, he dies, and, and as they're like embracing, and then James and Donna barely escape, and yep. then it cuts to Cooper in the elevator finding a mask. And it's like how wow, <laughs> it's true for for how little is going on in this episode it manages to have four possible cliffhanger endings back to back none of which end of the episode until because cooper finds a mask which could also be the ending but then a tape recorder plays a message and he puts on the mask yep he doesn't put on the mask he it's, just looks it's through like, it yeah there's an implication what if he had put on it. the mask i don't know i don't know what if he had <laughs> anyway uh that's that's because this episode of Twin Peaks was actually released uh, 
on interactive Laserdisc as a choose-your-own <laughs> ending episode. Uh, audiences actually – it was a tie because audiences abstained from voting because they did not care. <laughs> he puts on the mask to en- enable them to more easily shoot shoot those options from first person to like reduce the amount of sort of <laughs> staging and like yeah. actor presence that was required in the cho- in the yep. branching choices. God, the Twin Peaks interactive laser disc feels like a thing that could have been that released only in Japan. It could have been released. It was one on the on the the FM Towns Marty right. system or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Japan went crazy for that laser disc where you could play like yeah, really bad FM Towns like 32 color pixel art graphics of chess against Wyndham Earl, then it would go go, 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 and load up a laser disc shot of Cooper just like right. finding something yep. in the woods. Yep. <laughs> and then you Dragon's Lair, which way, which, which of the three women uh, on Wyndham Earl's facts right. that he sends in, he's going to investigate. <laughs> um, I, I feel like the only thing that we did actually leave out is Hank and Norma, but I guess we talked about it a little bit. Some, um, yeah, we talked about that. Yeah. I Wait, think Hank and Norma? Hank and not Hank and Norma. Ed and Norma? Ed and Norma. Yeah, we, we totally talked about yeah, that. Yeah, we did. So I think that might be everything that happens inside of this episode of Twin Peaks. I think it was. Um, An exhaustive list. Yep. Uh, we talked about all of our sort of overall thoughts about this up, mm-hmm. up top. Yeah. I thought that this might be a good week to talk about this, but maybe we should talk about it next week. But... We are now in the part of Twin Peaks where it is incredibly apparent that we're watching this one week at a time. Like, it's a thing that's come up, like, early on in the show, we, we, we sort of wanted to hold off on talking about that, about the experience of watching Twin Peaks one week at a time in the era of on-demand television oh, and yeah. the era mm-hmm. of binge-watching things. Yeah. I think that part of the reason that, that Twin Peaks' resurgence happened in a way that was not negative... And that sort of paved over a lot of the backlash is because people were able to just blast through this yes. part of the show. Yes. And we are not able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, most, I mean, as soon as we're done recording this series, like probably most of the people who listen to it will yeah. either skip these episodes of our podcast or blast through them. Yeah, because this... At like 1.5 like, speed or something. It's, it's, a, it's like early on, it was really hard for me to resist the urge to... To binge watch Twin Peaks because the way that I watch TV now is when right. I when I'm really enjoying it, I'll just be like, oh, I'll watch another couple episodes of this because yeah. it's here. Yeah, and then you can sort of slow it down or choose to be like, okay, mm-hmm. this Saturday evening I'm just gonna you know mm-hmm. make some popcorn or eat some food that I like, and I'm just gonna watch these four episodes that right. I know are kind of bad because I've heard that it gets better mm-hmm. after this mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it is hard to resist the urge to binge watch for the latter reason entirely. And it may, like, I'm, I'm so used to the flow now that I'm not thinking about it. But like this episode was kind of when I had the wake up of like, wow, that's right. For, for most people in the 21st century, this part of Twin Peaks is at most four or five hours of kind of just like sustained. You could just background kind of like watch this over, over attention. Yeah. yeah. Over like dinner and dessert. Basically yeah. you could just get through this yeah. in a one Saturday evening. If you really yep. are a determined twin peaks watcher. Yeah. And it's very weird to savor something that I'm, that I feel so annoyed by. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I was really into savoring it for the first, like oh, me half. too. it was really fun. Yeah. And now like, yeah, I'm now like, gotta find the things that i like like this show is making me into a twin peaks fan that i would not normally be by choice and will not be when this podcast is over like i have to find things to talk about in these episodes and to really like you wouldn't be a twin peaks fan i would not of this type not of the person who has to go and find like i feel like i oh and like dissect every single episode even the ones that are to find yeah. things in it to like and discuss right. and to sort of either celebrate <laughs> so, or scorn twin in a very peaks apologism almost yeah at a very yeah. specific level because like i'm not enjoying watching these episodes of twin peaks the only thing that i'm enjoying them for is for sort of yeah, the you're panning semi, for gold basically like the academic purpose yeah. of coming up with things to talk about with you right right um and i'm looking forward to that not being the case at this point but yeah. um like because this podcast exists i'm i'm enjoying watching this, the show on this viewing more than i probably would have mm-hmm. but also i would never watch the show in this format right ever course. again yeah, like yeah. There's a chance that I rewatch chunks of Twin Peaks before the Showtime show starts up, assuming that show starts up. Um, yep. But um, it will not be in anything resembling this, which is the format in which it was originally right. broadcast, basically. Right. Like, never again. Yep. Um, I know a ton of people wrote us in about that early on uh, in the show, and mm-hmm. 
we were going to read some of those reader mails. I don't know if we have to anymore, but like it's it's definitely been a shared experience, I think, for a lot of people who are watching this show along with us. Of yeah. just like, wow, this is not how I would have chosen to watch Twin Peaks at this oh, point. Oh, yeah, for, for sure. Definitely. I, I will say, though, that I'm glad to have had this experience in general because it in an era where, as you say, the default, especially for, for um, like you know, library like, shows like us and, you yeah. know, who sort of spend so much time on the Internet and yeah, and for, for catalog shows. Um, it's nice. I, I, I actually kind of still appreciate it even in the, even in the section of Twin Peaks we're in now. Um, because so early on, I appreciate, I appreciated it because it was a nice leisurely pace and it forced me to kind of savor the show in a way that I maybe wouldn't otherwise have and probably didn't when I first watched it, which was already when it was available on DVD. Um, but the reason that's kind of nice now is that in a way it's kind of annoying because I'm spreading out this experience that I'm, I'm very ambivalent about over months instead of a single night or something. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, like it means I'm not sort of skipping things or like annoyingly plowing through in a resentful way. Mm-hmm. I'm still like, I watch an episode and then I'm like, well, that was, I have mixed feelings about that. And then I have an entire week to kind of cool down. And like, it's not, you know, it's like 45 minutes per week. Yep. It's not the worst. It's like, it's an interesting, I think, exercise in uh, kind of restraint and uh, yep. like, Oh yeah, for sure. I, I, don't know. I, I entirely agree with that. And also Twin Peaks is a good show to be doing this with, because although it is a train wreck, it is still a pretty fascinating train wreck that actually, and like, when you watch Twin Peaks as one giant piece, which is I think the way both of us did it before, is watching mm-hmm. it on on DVD. Um, you're the different things do run together in a way that I think being able to actually sort of pull the episodes apart and watch them once a week, having watched it through only on like marathon viewings before, has been really nice. Even the both the good and the bad, because like. Thinking back to some of the realizations that we had, even in the first like fifteen, about just how wildly different stuff is, and even yeah. now, like Twin Peaks is marked as sort of oh, and then it gets bad and is a mess, right? But it's actually been really fun to pull apart the mess because the mess has actually been completely different week to week in a way that is crazy. Yep. But I think had we just watched this as one five-hour chunk over a weekend, where we were just kind of getting half drunk to just get it over with, it would just seem like a, a just not of disgusting this. But you can actually see how the show sort of keeps falling apart and trying to put itself back together at right. this time that is that you would not know notice mm-hmm. otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also the thing that I also am enjoying about it is I think I'm now prepared as a person who likes Twin Peaks to be able to go and like read some of those like interview books or like the ancillary oh, yeah, sort of totally. behind the scenes stuff. Yep. And I will have such a crazily strong grasp mm-hmm. of Absolutely. all the different phases of the shows yep. down to the specific episodes that I think I'm going to get a lot out of that that I wouldn't have otherwise. Definitely. And like, I'm now really, really, really deliberately saving all of that stuff until me after t- I'm done too. watching I'm, the show. I'm waiting until the end of the uh, when we finish the run. Yes, same. We'll see how we're feeling at the end of this, right, but it yeah. might it might be worth actually doing basically yeah, doing a book a club episode for, episodes. for that stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. Um, anyway, I don't know. That was a thing that has came up in my brain really heavily when I was watching this week's episode of the show. Yeah, was just was that. But uh, I don't know if you want to do any reader mail this week or if you want to save it. Let's let's save it. I, okay. I feel like at this point we're, I don't know. We we these we end up going pretty long with yep. these with these nothing episodes. Nothing episodes because there's so much to sort of express bafflement about. <laughs> yeah, so, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, we can probably also maybe um, as when we wrap up maybe do some more mail and and uh, hopefully as we as we pull up into the sort of better conclusion of the show. Um, there starts being more that we're that we are like excited to engage with listeners, uh, you know, in a more yep. kind of yeah. natural way. Cool. Yep. All right. Well, that's that's uh, that's it for this week on Twin Peaks rewatch. Oh, you know what? It's not it's not it uh, because oh we, right yes. Uh, so we have started on the uh, the Idle Thumbs Network, which um, this show is on, uh, as well as some other really great shows. On some of these podcasts, we've started uh, allowing listeners to buy brief on-air mentions, but either personal or commercial. So if you, uh, that's on Twin Peaks Rewatch, Terminal Seven, Dota Today, and Three Moves Ahead. So if you're interested mm-hmm. in uh, getting Chris or I to just read a call out to anything that is interesting to you, be it 
a way to annoy or celebrate a friend <laughs> or uh, pitch a thing that you're working on. Yeah, pitch a thing that you're working on or, um, you know, disparage us. Yeah, go to store.idlethumbs.net. Um, go to on-air mentions and uh, you can you can uh, purchase one of those uh, on a personal personal or commercial basis, depending on what it is your uh what topic it is you want us to cover, and uh, we will read it on the appropriate podcast. Yeah, so, so we, we actually opened this up over the last week and didn't mention it last week because we're great at this, but <laughs> really um, a couple it, people it, actually picked some, picked some up, so we have two mentions mm-hmm. for this week. Yes, so from Evan Tagnati, uh, he is the developer of what he calls a lightly interactive story-driven game on Steam. It's called 199X. It's, uh, it's appropriately, I guess, $1.99. Um, it's got a free soundtrack on there. And uh, it's a whole sci-fi kind of feminist story that he created. Yeah, I I have not played it myself, but he wants to get the word out about it. It's called 199X. It's on Steam. It's $1.99. Cool. Check it out. And then also, uh, Lucas Rizzoli, he, he bought a mention just to say, thanks for casting your pods. Keep it up. Oh, thanks, Lucas. Yeah, thanks, Lucas. I'm going to actually, I'm going to do this again as... Uh, as um gordon cole oh, okay so if you give us a frivolous one like this i'll read it as gordon cole thanks for keeping thanks for casting your pods keep it up <laughs> gordon's having some speech issues yeah he doesn't know what he's saying <laughs> so uh yes <laughs> uh thank you lucas and thank you evan if you would like us to goofily read your thing go to store.idlethumbs.net go to on-air mentions and that's we, it yeah that's this week cool also, thanks to those guys for supporting the show. It's, it's yes, it's, thank you very it's much. Awesome. Yes, that is that is now the we had no means of support of the show before. Now this is our sole means. So thanks, guys. Uh, you can find us on the internet at twinpeaksrewatch.com. I'm not going to read all the links since we took so long with all this other stuff. Um, but you can send us mail at twinpeaks@idlethumbs.net and tell a friend if you like it. Thanks for listening. You're welcome. You look like you look like. Thomas Eckerd right now and that you're required to always be wearing dramatic sunglasses. Yeah, I'm doing to dramatically be wearing Oh, sunglasses. do you want to wear a Thomas Eckerd costume for this sure. episode as well? Okay.